You're listening to Fireside Chats Without the Fires podcast, where customer experience enthusiasts are inspired by our weekly CX practitioners and thought leaders who share their insights and knowledge. And now, here are your hosts, Neil Toff and Paul Catherall. Fireside Chats Without the Fires, your podcast on customer experience. We are back at it. It is Friday, June 18th. Neil Toff, co-host, co-creator of Fireside Chats Without the Fires, with my esteemed co-host and co-creator, Paul Catherall. And if our audience, you've been paying attention, you know what Paul's doing right now, don't you? And if you don't know, Paul's going to share it. Paul, today you are currently filling in the blank. You are? I am buzzing. It's Fireside Chat Friday. I'm just buzzing, Neil. What a day. What a day. The highlight of my week. Awesome. Friday, Fireside Chat Friday without Paul buzzing. And buzzing with good reason because we have a great guest today. We are, as uh, audience you should know, um, we, are, we have been interviewing the contributing authors to the Customer Experience 3 book. And here we are once again with an esteemed, outstanding author on a topic that is near and dear to my heart personally. Paul and I have also debated this whole topic as well. We're going to get into the topic of quality and what that really means. We are really pleased to welcome Mark Karchis with us. Mark, uh, let us know that you can hear us and the audience can hear you. Welcome to the program. All here. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be on this show. So you're doing a good job so far. I try to meet your expectation and not exceed, but meet your expectations here. So. <laughs> Perfect. And, and that, that's, by the way, that's part of your definition of quality. I know we're going to get into that in a second. We, we have very high expectations for the, the highest level of quality in what you're going to uh, share with us today. Can't wait to get into it. This is season two, episode 21, and the title for today's uh, session is CX and Quality Management, which is uh, borrowed from Mark's chapter uh, in the Customer Experience 3 book. The name of the chapter is CX and Quality Management, Evolution or Integration, and Who Should Be in Charge? Question mark. CX and quality management, evolution or integration, and who should be in charge? I was trying to get my intonation correct. There's a question. Uh, I love the, the, the name of the chapter, and again, the topic. We're going to get right into it. Mark, for those that don't know you or are not yet following you, I want to share just for a minute a little bit about your background, because you have a really diverse, interesting background in the work that you do. You are the uh, customer experience and service quality strategy consultant of your, your firm, Karchi, Seron, and Alred Consultants. You are in uh, Dubai, and you also play an important role in the CXPA UAE, that's United Arab Emirates, UAE member organization. Um, that's what your LinkedIn profile says. For those that aren't yet following you, tell us just a little bit about you that's not in that profile and a little bit about what you've done in the CX world. Yeah, so... Um... <laughs> What have I done? So I initially come from banking. So I'm a learned banker, started off in branch banking and so on. Did my stint in operations, IT, risk management, quality management, um, IT, I said IT, information security, pretty much anything that is in the middle and back office. Uh, but I really found my passion in the quality management side, especially total quality management, uh, the customer integration and so on. So after I left um, Citibank, after Citibank, uh, 17 years, and uh, my last role there was to be the operations director for Diners Club in Europe for um, nine different countries. I moved over to Dubai, came here, worked for one of the largest banks to uh, sort out uh, the customer service and the quality management uh, issues. 
uh, turned them around and after that started my own firm. But then I've done some teaching. So I was teaching for Holt Business School, for Middlesex University. Um, I'm doing a lot of trainings, customer experience programs, heavily involved as a volunteer at CXBA and so on. So a little bit of everything, I guess. That's great. And I can't wait to, to get into this. Let's jump right into the topic of quality. So quality, I think, means many things to many different people. And as many people as you will ask or as many definitions as you will probably get. Uh, by the way, like I said, quality is near and dear to mine and Paul's heart because in the contact center, we talk a lot about quality. We talk about quality assurance. We talk about quality management. We talk about just general quality, not QA, QA, QC, QX, just Q, quality. But like I said, it means lots of different things to lots of different people. I'm going to borrow from your chapter, if I can, a few of the definitions that you offer, and I want you to explain these just a bit. The first one is, and this is, I think, one of my favorites here. Uh, you refer to quality through the eyes of the customer. I really like that. And then you further explain quality is what the user or the customer says it is. Really, it doesn't matter. It is what's, well, whoever, whoever you're asking, it's what their opinion of what quality is, right? I like that. Let's, we're going to go back to that in one second. So that's, that's one sort of definition that's out there. And then you talk about good quality means a predictable degree of uniformity and a dependability with a quality standard suited to the customer or conformance to requirements. And there's two more I'm going to add, and then, and then we'll jump into these. The characteristics of a product or service that bear on its ability to satisfy stated or implied needs. I'm going to read that again. I like this one a lot too. The characteristics of a product or service that bear on its ability to satisfy stated or implied needs. My interpretation of that, by the way, is it does what it's supposed to do. I think that's what that says. We'll get it, and I promise I'm going to turn my mic off and turn yours on in just a second. I got one more to add here, which is great, because you, you've just really added a nice sprinkling of these here. Final one, a product or service free of deficiencies. I love that one too. Very simple, very concise. Now, I'm going to shut up. What four great definitions here, which one of these should we use? Are, the, are each of these appropriate or, or we can kind of borrow and pick and choose whatever suits us? Please share thoughts on, on these definitions here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, none of them are mine. So they're all coming from, from great gurus, quality management gurus, from uh, frameworks and from ideas that have been around literally for, for ages in, in our terms. So um, the two that you mentioned out there, uh, the ones around the, um, sorry, um, the ones that were going around the um, characteristics of the product and the product service free of deficiencies, those are actually the two technical definitions that the American Society for Quality is generally using. And they're obviously pulling their definitions from Duran, from Feigenbaum, from any of those um, great gurus out there. Um, when I usually be asked what quality management is or what the definition of quality is, I usually say quality equals consistency. So consistency to exactly what you promise, you deliver exactly what you promise, no more and no less. And that is, I think, also tying then in what I described in, in my book chapter, uh, the handover to customer experience management, because quality management is looking for the consistency of the business, whereas customer experience management is how the customer perceives them from the outside in, the emotions that 
they ultimately trigger. And that's why quality management and customer experience management are partially two sides of the same coin and partially feeding of each other. So you cannot do good customer experience if you don't have good consistency and the ability to deliver on your promises to the customer in the first place. Um, but as you rightfully said, there's so many definitions of quality out there. I mean, uh, David Garvin, um, scholar from the US, he was putting a whole list together and really tried to figure out um, what is like the, the landscape of definitions. And he built them into five main areas. On one side, he was saying that you have like the old style manufacturing or product-based ones. So that is really, for example, the product-based ones, when you look at uh, precise and measurable, it's, uh, the components and the attributes of a product that you're dealing with and so on. And that is like really when we look into manufacturing and product side. The, the problem here is that it always requires a standard and then the delivery against that standard. So that's where statistical process control and Six Sigma and all those aspects come from. When we then move on and look into the evaluation uh, or evolution, we find out that you have the, uh, the user-based definitions, that quality is really defined by the user of those products or services that are being derived. So that is like really meeting the different wants and needs of the customer and being able to satisfy their preferences that they have. So quality is defined by the user. Um, the next part probably would be the value-based one. So can you define quality in terms of cost and price? Like what you're actually um, doing with this quality, is it really meeting not only the needs and expectations of the user, but in line with their budgets, with um, everything that you improve is really adding value in there. Um, which also in CX is done through the return on investment side. You should not improve further um, if you don't have an extra value and extra benefit that really comes out of it. And the last part is the uh, transcendent approach to quality, which is that you can't really describe what quality is, but if you see it, if you feel it, if you experience it, you know that is good. And that's really why everyone can be a quality manager. Everyone is a quality, you know, uh, in the experience really behind it, saying, hey, I see this is great, this is not good. If you sit down into a comfy chair and you feel good, you would actually tell you to yourself, this is good quality. You can't describe why. You would need to start thinking about it first. Why is it good? Okay, is it the the the, the wood? Is it the uh, the cushion? Is it the uh, the cloth that is on top of it? And only then you start describing quality around the uh, the attributes or uh, the subparts behind it. So quality can therefore mean everything to everyone, and you can see quality like a diamond in many different shapes and forms from different angles. So the facets really make quality management then quite interesting. In, in what is customer experience, however, uh, we worry less about how the chair feels or the materials that, it, that, that were used to make the chair. What we care about, I believe, is did we get the chair delivered on time? And if, it, if we didn't, why not? And if we need to return the chair, how do I return it so that it's easy and then done so in a less friction in a way that presents less as less friction as possible. Um, when I called the contact center or emailed the contact center, was I uh, was my call or chat or email answered quickly? Did I have to wait for a long time? Was my problem resolved? In my world in customer experience, I first think of that. But well, I think what you're arguing, I think I'm kind of thinking it's kind of a Venn diagram. They they are two separate things. Yet there is definitely a shared space among 
uh, uh, CX and, and quality management then, correct? Yeah, and again, it goes back to how you define quality in the first place, because in the very last one, or in, in the, let's say, the customer-driven or the, or the user-driven and value-driven approaches, quality management is equal to customer experience management, because you manage the internal aspects of the organization to deliver to the customer what you promised. But here's the funny thing. If you take a step back first and you ask, what is customer experience? Not customer experience management, but customer experience. It's actually the feelings that the customer has. So when you sit into the chair, uh, into that chair, it's not about the chair itself. It's like, what is the emotional response you have of sitting in that chair? How do you feel? Do you feel good? Do you feel comfy? Do you feel stressed? What is like the surrounding behind it? So the experience, we can try to influence, but it's totally up to the customer what his feeling is. We cannot say it's a good or bad feeling. It's the customer who has it. We can only... Um, manage the environment in which the customer really has that experience and try to give them enough triggers, like make the chair comfy so that he, the customer feels comfortable. So the experience is feeling comfortable and the management would be put a comfy chair there. So the things that you describe, like make it easy to return an item, make it easy to contact us, um, have a fast turnaround, they're actually the attributes like in quality management that we manage to trigger a certain emotional outcome. And unfortunately, we mix those two things up and use them interchangeably. And I think that's one of the problems in our industry. Sure. You had an interesting discussion, changing topics just a little bit. You had an interesting discussion in your chapter about five phases uh, or five different types of organizations. Can you walk us through those? I think that's a, some interesting uh, and thought-provoking ideas that come out of each of these five phases. Yeah, so um, the basic idea, I guess, is that when an organization starts up, let's say startup, um, even Amazon in the beginning or uh, any of those companies that we feel are providing good customer experience management uh, approaches, when they started up, they didn't have many customers, one, two, three, maybe five, maybe 10. And they needed to make sure that those customers were served brilliantly because in this one-on-one -on -one situation, the customer was extremely important. When they grew, or when any organization grows, they don't have this one-on-one -on -one, uh, situation with the customer anymore. So you cannot have that one-on-one -on -one situation as a small startup with 100,000 customers. You need to scale up. So organizations have to take a very tough choice. How far can they have the very expensive um, customer experience or this one-on-one -on -one relationship? And at which points do they need to put more structure into place? Let it be, you know, procedures and hire more people that they know what needs to get done and so on. So in other words, they move from a, from a startup approach into a more standardization and a scaling up. And this scaling up approach has to be driven by process controls, putting procedures, putting um, approval limits, putting standards in place. And you cannot be there for 100% to everyone. You build your... Um, your segments, you build the groups of customers that you're more suited to, but you know that you will not handle everyone 100%. And during that startup phase, organizations tend to go for ISO to do the documentation frameworks. They tend to implement Six Sigma um, structures. They process manage. Once the organization is consistent, again, going back to the quality definition of quality equals consistency, then they need to see, 
can we do this in a cheaper way? So they cut out the waste. All the fluff that had been built up was maybe a handover from the initial startup phase um, can potentially be rationalized now. So you see a lot of organizations going to lean management, into uh, cost management, into uh, making sure that we're not wasting time, we're improving our processes to cut down cycle time and so on. And that usually frees up a lot of uh, budget and a lot of money that then either can be handed out to the shareholders or it can be reinvested into the company, into the culture, hire better people, train them up and do more of a, let's say, cultural management. And that's when the organization moves from this, um, let's say, um, uh, from, the, um, from the structural and from the, from the lean side into a cultural stage of TQM which is when they're doing customer centricity, when they're really looking for how can our organization as a whole, everyone thinks about quality, we train the right people, we manage quality holistically and so on. And once you have achieved that, you can circle back to the services that you have as a startup and really do the deep customer experience management because you understand the customer, you can deliver consistently what you had, you can consistently uh, provide the services, you don't make as many errors anymore because you still have stable and, and, and good quality processes. But also you have sufficient money to not only roll out an initiative like a loyalty program and two years later you need to scale it back because you don't have enough funding for it. So that's really when the organizations that are being seen as leading in CX have undergone all those phases and have really built on top of each other. Where they fail, and this is the flip side of it, if they're going too fast into the next stage. So for example, try to do customer experience management without being able to handle um, processes on a consistent basis. That you promise something, but only in 80% of the cases you keep that promise. And if you think of SLA service levels that you have in organizations, very often they say 80%, 90%, 95%. Sounds good, but how about the 5% failure that you have in there? Is that really acceptable? So. Really, my argument would be you go through the different stages and you move them up. And when you reach that high level, then you're being generally seen from as the outside provider for good customer experience. No short-term step. So the five stages, uh, and again, I encourage uh, the audience to pick up this book and read, certainly read this chapter. The five stages, startup, yeah. scaling up, yeah. improving business model and profitability, clear corporate identity and branding, and the final, right. strategic customer centricity. I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, many of our organizations, and even individuals, think about, well, we, we, we should go out and get a, you know, some type of certification or some type of standardization program. And the ones that I'm aware of, we, we hear a lot about uh, total quality management. We hear about Six Sigma. We hear about ISO. My organization, by the way, is uh, we adhere to ISO 9001-2015, and it's, it's, I've learned a lot about that process. And it is a it is a um, complex being. I had to, but I like it. I'm a, I'm a fan of it. But it's complex. Um, the, all that being said, is there a simple recommendation, you, Mister Mister Mrs. Enterprise, or you, Mister Mrs. Uh, customer Experience Practitioner, you should go pursue? this one. Do you have a, a recommendation or is that just too simplified? Uh, I, I think it's too simple. It's like the same thing as if someone would say it's like, should I go for an MBA or another master? So there are many different directions that you can go. Even if you do 
an MBA or you study business, there are different things that you can study, whether it's marketing strategy, uh, corporate finance, whatever is part behind there. And when you ask what is in quality management and or customer experience management in there, it's again, what is your specialization? If you want to go for process consistency, for example, as an individual, you can go for Six Sigma or ISO or, you know, aspects like that. If you're more into the cost cutting or the efficiency aspect, then you would have aspects like uh, lean management that you could certify for. If you go for TQM, which is the cultural approach, the holistic approach, more like a general quality management, uh, you would probably go for something like the certified quality manager from ASQ. But again, and then there's like different levels. You have like the junior level, mid-level and senior level, like in Six Sigma, yellow belt, green belt, black belt, and master black belt. You have in TQM, CQIA, CQPA, CMQEs. You see there are like so many abbreviations out there and each one of them defines something. On the customer experience side, okay, a disclaimer, obviously I'm heavily involved with uh, CXPA. I do believe that the CXPA program is very good, but it's a practitioner certification for, I would argue, slightly more advanced or more um, experienced practitioners. So someone's fresh out of university will not qualify for taking that exam because you need to prove that you have um, work experience behind it. That's an all-rounder uh, customer experience that deals with the um, strategy, with the KPIs, uh, with cultural aspects, uh, with, the, uh, with the measurement systems behind the accountability, so many different areas that come in. Um, so one size fits all, unfortunately, and maybe fortunately does not exist, but it really depends where you want to position yourself. I, I think that was a great and very diplomatic answer. I uh, tossed you a, a very unfair question, I think, no. knowing that each of these is quite complex and simple. It's, it's, I oversimplified it, and thank you for diplomatically answering that because it was not an easy question to answer, and, yeah. and, and you, you did provide a very, very complete set of thoughts here. Mm -hmm. um, you know what I'm thinking, Mark, is that there's so many more questions I want to ask you about quality in the contact center. I think it, it makes sense to table that part of the discussion, we got to have you come back at some point again and, and have a separate conversation. We're going to invite you back because there's many things that in Paul and my world that we deal with, again, about quality and uh, the intersection of, of QA, uh, QM, uh, the automation of measurement systems and things like that. I think we'd like to pick your brain on, but we're going to save that for a different topic in different okay. time because that's a, the whole separate several hours of conversation that we would hopefully have you back for. Um, let me do this. I want to ask you the same questions that we do ask our uh, all of our guests on here. We have a, a set of three questions. We call it the final third of the final third. And um, the three questions. The first one, if you could share with us, is a CX myth that you would like to bust, a customer experience myth, some commonly held notion that you would like to simply take an X to and break up. Is there at least one of them that I imagine that's top of mind for you? Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are tons of them, uh, whether the customer is always right or um, I, I, there's so many ones out there. But the one that always drives me up um, is when people say, oh, you need to continuously improve. And it's not about continuous improvement really behind it, whether you put a fancy name like Kaizen continuous improvement on it. That's actually not in the spirit of what this was really all about. See. The, there's a very simple definition of value. Value is benefit minus the cost to achieve that benefit. And if the, that mathematical formula is positive, then you add value. If the cost 
to achieve a certain benefit is, is negative, then ultimately you're investing and you're not getting a return on that investment. So benefit is too small, you're destroying value. So I would argue when you continuously improve and you continuously improve, 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 does it really add at one point still value or not? There's a certain point where the further investment or the further improvement that you do is too high. And why should you actually improve further when you're not adding value? So the, the concept of this Kaizen actually is not continuous improvement, how it's generally translated, but improving for the better. And better, therefore, intrinsically means you need to add value. So in other words, stop improving if you're not really adding any more value. And the reason why I'm so, so mad at this when people come back and say, oh, but quality management says you need to do that, or business says you need to do that, it's very often because people have pet projects. So they put all the benefits in and they calculate the cost low, or they're putting intangible value in saying, oh, because of this or that, and it cannot be calculated. We as a profession need to take a really, really good hard look at is what we're doing really making sense or not when we do it. And I mean, digitization obviously is all around us, but if you look at many of the projects that are being done in doing digitization, a lot of that stuff really doesn't add that much value to the majority of the customers. So why do you do it? Why do you need artificial unintelligent systems inside your call centers? Yes, you're potentially cutting out staff, but any implementation that I've seen has actually increased the call volumes because um, people complain and still want to talk to human beings. Give the customer what they want. And if the customer doesn't want to pay for it, then bottom line, you have a wrong business model. So it's really that we should very often take a step back look at the economic model, the return on investment, and identify is this further improvement making sense or not? And if not, then don't continue to improve. That's probably one of it, the big ones. That, um, it reminds me, uh, something I was doing yesterday, I was looking at a piece of software that my company subscribes to. We have a software as a service model for a piece of marketing automation software. Yeah. And I was just tooling around and I found a feature that I thought, oh my, wow, this feature is incredible. It'd be great to have this thing. It, it will be, I will add so much more value to what we're able to do. And then I clicked on and realized, well, wait a minute, I'm actually, it, they're upcharging me. They're, they're trying to upsell me into this uh, additional model. And I thought, hmm, no here. And I looked and I realized the pricing is actually quite steep and significant. And I thought, well, yeah, I could get benefit from this, but the cost of the benefit is far, uh, higher than the benefit itself. Therefore, I don't think I would be adding value. Therefore, it, this is a nice to have, if not a must have. And so guess what? I put it on the back burner. It's still, it's still in my in the back of my mind. I want to have it. If I could get a Christmas present, I would do it. Um, but in the corporate world, I think we don't often get Christmas presents and, and therefore we have to be very careful about is it really asking ourselves, does it add value or not? And I like the way you you you, you pitch this. I just practiced it yesterday without even really knowing. It's a good way to look at things. It's probably, I mean, probably to put like a, a real life example on this one. One of my clients, they had um, one of those systems where automatically SMS is sent out to customers uh, with advertisement. You probably get them from your bank, from your cell phone company and so on. And uh, because of regulation out here in this market, they needed to make sure that customers have the chance to opt out. Problem is the initial system did not have this opt out automated feature. So they wanted the uh, IT department to put a massively large project on to put a feature in 
that the opt-out list would automatically apply because we're saving them so much time and they were not making any human error anymore. And I was looking at this and was saying, why do you do that in the first place? How often have people really bought something from a bank, let's say take out a loan or a credit card because you receive an SMS? So why do you maintain the SMS system in the first place? I mean, you have telecommunications costs, IT running costs, and now you want to make it regulatory proof by investing millions in order to make this um, the system um, uh, actually work. I would argue, turn off the system and don't bother your customers with more, with more advertisement in the first place. So sometimes it's really taking a couple of steps back and seeing, is what we're doing really making sense or not? Is there a return on investment really behind it? I mean, quality management and customer experience management is not all lovey-dovey. It's really about understanding where do we add value to the customer and is the customer actually willing to pay for it? Because it's easy to give them all the features, but if there's no market that he pays us for those features, then we shouldn't put that out. Why is it possible that we have ultra-luxury airlines and low-cost uh, airlines in the market? Because sometimes customers are just okay with having a lower service and they don't need more. Sometimes they want specifically that service and they're willing to pay for it. But if there is no market, customers not willing to pay for it, it's a clear signal that you're overdoing it. Then don't do it. Correct. Perfect. Excellent. Let's go to the second question of our final Sorry. third here, which is um, some CX quotes that you have prepared. If you had them uh, and want to share them, that would be great. Something that resonates yeah. with you as far as a quote. Yeah. So the the first one is actually very often attributed to Gandhi, but it's not from Gandhi. It's actually from a guy called Kenneth B. Elliott. He was a sales VP at the um, at the old Studebaker Corporation uh, car manufacturer that's out of business. And he was saying um, a customer is the most important visitor to, on our premises. He is not dependent on us. We are dependent on him. He's not an inter interruption of our work. He's the purpose of it. He is not an outside of our business. He is part of it. We are not doing him a favor by serving him. He's doing us a favor by giving us the opportunity to do so. I think that's the, the key element here is that this really represents the outside in view that quality management and customer experience management should have, that we do the right thing for the customer, not because we want to only do business, but also that you know the customer gives us the opportunity and really, really need to uh, think of him. So I think Powerful. that resonates a lot with, with them. Um, the second yeah, quote hey, is, second um, sorry, what, sorry? Yeah, you have a second one. Share the second one with us. Yeah. So the second one was the just do it. So, um, but this was very highly used by, um, by actually my mentor that got me into uh, the total quality management and service quality in the late 90s, Michael Pavlik. So uh, he was like my boss in quality management over at Citibank. And, uh, whenever we were having deliberations and, and trying to figure out what we should do, typical project meetings took like forever. He was just saying, just do it. Or when, when literally there was no more value coming out of that. And that gave us the uh, two directions. Number one, more deliberation would not necessarily add more value. So cut it. We will need to take some risk. Uh, some risk and quality management is inherently risky, any project management for that matter. So take that risk. But it also meant that he was backing us up. So he was always there for us when we just did it, that he was having our back. 
that it really saved us hours and hours of more talk that would probably just have overcomplicated things or give us solutions that didn't work. So it's very powerful behind it. Of course, not in the way how uh, it, it initially started off with um, uh, with Gary Gilmore, but uh, we usually tended to have kind of like uh, better um, outcomes. So those are the two quotes that are probably quite good. Thank you. And then the final third here is the CX heroes. You have some CX heroes uh, that, that you'd like to, to share with us. And I very much like the ones you've pre-selected. Please share with us who the two individuals are uh, that are important for you. Yeah. I mean, on one side, it's not only the CX hero of the week, but privilege of my life. So it's my wife, my wonderful wife, DG, um, because um, she's literally an expert in family experience. So she keeps things moving. She's always first thinking of the family, what is best for the family. So she's really embodying, uh, in embodying what um, experience and family and customer and customer centricity and people centricity is really all about. But with that, really in a wider context, mothers. So mothers are pretty much the embodiment of CX heroes because they ultimately adjust their life uh, in order to enhance the experience of someone else, the baby. So I cannot really think of any other group of people in general uh, that have a stronger one-to-one -one relationship management skill or empathy. So, I mean, in real reality, if you have the chance, hire more mothers out there because they're usually very, very, very good in, in kind of like Sugarbird, but also kind of like the word at times. So very, very good people. Um, well stated. And the second person. The second person, Valerie Peck. Um, some of you guys might know her. She works a lot in the background. She's an awesome person when it comes to CX. I learned a lot from her, and I really see her as one of the very few, very true um, icons of CX and journey mapping and um, customer experience management. Um, used to work in the past with uh, Peppers and Rogers, and she was doing a lot of the work. She wrote one of the chapters in their books. And what I really like about her, she's always there for the other people. If anyone has a question, if anyone wants to learn something, she's always there to share her experience and, uh, and help people out. And I learned a ton of her, uh, from her, and I believe many others should learn from her as well. So she's doing a lot of um, podcasts as well, but uh, she's really brilliant. So she's an absolute hero of mine. Excellent. Thank you for sharing the six heroes, and thank you for sharing the time with us. Um, once again, the chapter that Mark has contributed to the Customer Experience 3 book is called CX and Quality Management, Evolution or Integration, and Who Should Be in Charge? Uh, it's an outstanding chapter, recommended reading, uh, and uh, I'd like to use this when it truly does make me change and reconsider the way I look at things of it's thought-provoking. Um, it, it certainly checks those boxes and gets one to think about how to define quality, what is important, um, how it should manifest itself in organizations. And as I said, Mark, we want to have you back for a second opportunity to interview and pick your brain about quality in the contact center and quality assurance and quality management. Again, a whole separate set of topics. I hope you'll say yes to us uh, and, and, and come back and visit us. Absolutely, anytime. Thank you very much, guys. Absolute pleasure. Perfect, perfect. So we are going to wrap up today's session uh, if I can speak for Paul, um, I think his microphone is on. Uh, Paul, I would say you're probably buzzing. It's still buzzing. It was a darn good session. This one sizzled, didn't it? Yeah, it, it sizzled. And apologies, I've had that many technical challenges, to put it politely. Uh, but 
Mark, from, from what I heard and from what I saw, fantastic. Loved your insights. Loved the way you broke down what quality means, regardless or dependent, I should say, on how you're looking at it. And yeah, I loved that session. Thank you so much for your time, mate. Appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. Perfect. So this is wrapping up season two, episode 21, uh, CX and Quality Management. Last time, Mark Karchis has been our guest today. Uh, as we always like to ask you, audience members, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, communicate with us if there's something different or new that you'd like to see. If there's something you disagree with, by all means, we welcome that. Uh, we want to hear your feedback. Thank you very much for joining us. We look forward to uh, seeing you and hearing you and having you as part of our community and uh, tuning in to our next podcast next week. Mark, thank you once again for joining us. Paul and Neil signing off for Fireside Chats about the fires. The episode is over, but the conversation continues. Please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Post a comment and subscribe to stay on the leading edge of customer experience. To get in touch or be a guest, follow us on Twitter at ChatsFires or on LinkedIn or in your podcast repository of choice. Thank you.